0: Um, I had intended to have. Uh, one slide on, please. Um, a little thing about breakups, and I had a, a Hollywood thing. So I, I, I'm sorry if, if you've got a particularly painful breakup in your life. I'm sorry to drag that through the mud. Perhaps think of one, you know, a long time ago. I think the first woman who rejected me, I was age five. You know, I've had a history of this. Um, but uh, but think about breakups. Think about what's the line? What's the breakup line that's happened? Perhaps the, the one that you know comes out, gets trotted out as the, the staple. It's not you, it's me. Perhaps as you've heard that, I'm sorry if it drags up painful memories, perhaps you've, perhaps you've said that, somebody else. Uh, we won't ask you to raise your hand. But it's a, it's a painful process, isn't it? But that line is a killer line. What can you argue against? It's meant to be a kind line, but it just kills the conversation. You know, the relationship is surely dead. I've got two slightly better ones. Um, oh, Go back on, please. Uh, well, you can't tell from here. they are meant to be video. We'll, we'll have to do a, a crowd reenactment. Okay, here is Gone with the Wind. Vivian Leigh, uh, Clark Gable. Some people are n- nodding their heads. Younger people are going, who? Uh, but, you know, uh, famous, famous people. This is a great film. Uh, and the, the last line is so well known, I'm sure you could almost say it to me, okay? There's Vivian Lee stands at the door, uh, Scarlet, and she says, uh, you know, But Rhett, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And Clark Gable stands, looks at her and says... Well, you tell me. One, two, three. One, two, three. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Oh, Lots, and lots of you knew that one. okay? Those you don't, you now know it. It's that famous line, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. And he turns and walks away. It's a mic drop moment. Yeah, I'm off. And it just, it's just devastating. At the end of the film, it just says, do you know what? You've pushed me beyond caring. The way you behaved, the way you haven't cared about me or other people, it just has pushed me beyond the limit. And frankly... I don't care. The next one is from Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> this is far too long for me to remember. Uh, George Pippard turns to um, uh, Audrey Hepburn in the cab, uh, uh, Hollygo lightly and, uh, and he delivers a few home truths to her because she's being Hollygo lightly He says this, "'You know what's wrong with you, miss whoever you are? "'You're chicken. "'You've got no guts. "'You're afraid to stick out your chin and say, "'Okay, life's a fact.'" People do fall in love because people do belong to each other because that's the only chance anyone's got for real happiness. You call yourself a free spirit, a wild thing. You're terrified someone's going to stick you in a cage. Well, baby, you're already in that cage. You built it yourself. It's not bounded in the west by Tulip, Texas, or in the east by Somaliland. It's wherever you go because no matter where you run, you just end up running into yourself. feel the burn on that one that's pretty harsh and you see the face in the cab as she just registers that actually everything he said is absolutely true she's been fooling herself the way she's been behaving uh, has not been great and he's just told her exactly what it is and why he says it's not me it's you and he walks out uh, of the cab and down the street I won't spoil any more of the film for you young people go home rent these films they're great movies but every breakup line is it's horrible isn't it Um, it's not you, it's me I don't know what you prefer would it not you, it's me or would you prefer him to say actually it's not me, it's you like George Peppard does it's not me, it's you well that's something of what Paul says tonight in his letter to the Corinthians if you have that open that would be really helpful I think I've even put the page number up there one more slide please Um, page 1162 Uh, because that letter is about a relationship which is on the rocks Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church the Christians in Corinth uh, that's on the rocks. There's been some, uh, some really difficult things there. They've rejected him in lots of ways. They've sought after other people who are better looking than he is in various ways. Uh, yeah, more, more kind of in tune with the world, the way it works. But also that relationship with Jesus is on the rocks. It risks being ruined forever, dashed. And Paul's not looking for the ultimate breakup line here. In fact, the opposite. Although he does say, look, it's not us. It's not me. It's you. This is not a breakup line. It's a wake-up line. He's seeking to fix the relationship. And the last so five chapters of Corinthians, you probably picked up, has gone through in the evenings. Um, Paul's been appealing to them in these, these really strong emotional, spiritual truths about, about them, about him, about the Lord Jesus. And I hope you understood that the connection, that relationship connection. He's brought the gospel to them, the gospel about Jesus. Through him, they've understood that Jesus died for them, that they can come into a relationship with God. Uh, he's sort of, you know, he's he birthed them into this faith. They, they've received his message uh, with faith. And he's been talking to them about their role in, in the rule of the Lord Jesus in Corinth. And we could skip through, but I don't think we've got time for that. Um, but let me just finish with uh, 5.20 from last week, as Polly uh, brought this to us. Uh, Paul says, look, we are therefore in Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you, we plead with you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. It's a don't break up letter about gospel and gospel relationships. And after all he's said, you know, really helpfully so far in the letter, Paul can then wind up by explicitly saying, look, look at our ministry. I hope this could be on there. Hey, it is fantastic. Look at our ministry, verses 3 to 10. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. He says, look, look at our ministry. It doesn't contradict what we've been saying. It actually matches not just how we feel about you, but the truth about God we've been saying, about who Christ is, about how God brings about salvation in Christ. They could have been a stumbling block. It could be that the way Paul lives, the things he says, his lifestyle, his relationships, his priorities, could have been at odds with that gospel, been a stumbling block, caused people to trip over. I decided this week to go running in the woods on Sunday, I thought it's going to be really healthy, I have a healthy half term, fantastic, set out, uh, enter the woods, turned right, and uh, I decided to kick a tree, or tree root, but anyhow, Uh, and it was a stumbling block, I stumbled, Certainly certain I fell over and uh, for the next three days had a very, very painful foot, so no more running for me this half term. I've had to soothe my ills with cake instead. <laughs> he doesn't want to be a stumbling block cause him to trip over. And part of his appeal to them to return to Jesus is being able to say, look, our lives are an illustration of the truth of the gospel. We didn't want our ministry to be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In every way we can think about it and then follows this, this long, long list. Uh, some of it refers to things that I said earlier, some things later. Uh, in general, I think it refers to things that the Corinthians would have known. These are sort of categories, if you like, if they could fill in particular examples where they've seen that in Paul's life. So when he says, look, you know, in hunger, uh, they think, oh yeah, there was that time when, when Paul and the team spent all day teaching and turning no one away. That they, they missed lunch and dinner and went home without wages in their pocket even. Hungry that night, because they were so keen to explain the gospel. In truthful speech, yeah, they told us everything they saw personally, and their story about Jesus never changed. From day one, they were truthful. I'm not going to go through all now, but let me just say, uh, it helps to see that they fall roughly into three categories here. Firstly, there's some hard circumstances around their ministry. Secondly, I think you see the grace of God in their ministry. And thirdly, you see that the appearance and the reality of their ministry. So, um, hard circumstances, one more, hard circumstances around the ministry, uh, headed up with the words, in great endurance, and they kind of fall roughly into these three groups of three. So, there were difficulties in travelling and actually doing ministry. So, there were in troubles, in hardships, and in distresses. There were difficulties with the Roman and Jewish authorities, because they spoke about Jesus. So, verse 5, in beatings, in imprisonment, in riots. And there were difficulties due to gospel ministry shaping their lifestyle. So, in hard work, they worked two jobs, a gospel job and a normal job. In sleepless nights, in hunger. Doing ministry was costly. Secondly, we saw the grace of God in their ministry. We saw their, their likeness of the character as they grew and lived in the likeness of Jesus. So verse 6, in purity, in understanding, in patience, in kindness. Now, I don't think Paul's saying his, uh, his ministry team and he were perfect, He's already said they had this treasure in jars of clay. It was uh, the cracked clay pots that actually displayed the treasure best. It's not that they were never impatient, but they displayed sort of, patience and kindness in such a way that when the Corinthians saw it, they couldn't deny that actually that's God working graciously through them. And their uh, the, the hard work in the ministry was seen as God worked through them to show that Jesus uh, was king in the Holy Spirit, in sincere love, in truthful speech, in the power of God. These are things that can't be written off as just being a really good, quality human being. They were things that only God could do. So that's the grace of God in their ministry. And there's the appearance and reality of their ministry. So it goes on. So it says, with right, weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, they stood firm. You see, you come at Paul and make an accusation, what's he going to defend himself with, right hand or left hand? It's righteousness. You say, hey, Paul, you, you got that wrong. You made a mistake. You, you, that's not something Christians should say. And Paul would say, you're right. But my righteousness comes from Christ, not from being a perfect person. And Paul acknowledges there's a contrast between how things look now and the eternal reality before God. He said, look, it's that... We were genuine, yet regarded as imposters, known and yet regarded as unknown. They were the bringers of the real gospel to Corinth. And there were the Corinthians pretending they didn't really know them, that they were the poorer cousins. Paul, oh, yeah, I think I've heard of him. Uh, they were just embarrassed compared to what everyone else seemed to have as leaders in public. Bill, my kids don't acknowledge me. We're in public, and I threatened to sing. They've never seen him in my life and walked the other direction. That's something like the Corinthians are doing. Oh, they was slightly embarrassed, but oh, Paul, really... Dying and yet we live on. Beaten and yet not killed. There's no metaphor there. Sorrowful. Every reason to be miserable, they had. You want a life like Paul had? No finances, status, clothes, fame. Yet always rejoicing because they knew Jesus. Poor yet making many rich. Though they travelled with nothing, it seems, but what they had. When they arrived in a town and spoke about Jesus, and people heard and believed, they ended up with eternal life and treasure in heaven, having nothing yet possessing everything. Let me tell you, the most dedicated hedonist, the wealthiest dream chaser, the f- most fame-hungry performer in the world, could only look at Paul and his team and weep, because they had everything. As he puts it in two Timothy, they had godliness with great contentment. with contentment, sorry, which is great gain. And the Corinthians were so slow to understand that. In some ways, what Paul's doing is, is the grumpy teenager response. You're the teenager who says, You don't care about me, and says, and Jim Morrison's rubbish. You say, Don't slam the doors in my house, thank you. <laughs> thank you, one person. Very good. Uh, but they are grumpy that and they kind of they're just having that mood. They're kind of, I don't I just you don't care, you don't even care. As a parent, you want to sit down and say, washed your pants this week who put food on the table who got that filling you like for your sandwiches who wanted to call you as came to the door to ask about your tests that you're worried about because I was worried about it with you all day you can point as a parent to all the little ways in which you love so well and of course that's not the real issue with a grumpy teenager but that's what you want to do isn't it it's something like what Paul's doing he's saying can you see can you look at my ministry can you see there's no stumbling block here can you see how we cared. Can you see how we, we cared about you and the gospel of Jesus? We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry would not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commended ourselves in every way. So, can you see here? The problem isn't us, it's you. Verses 11 to 13. The problem isn't us, it's you. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you. The problem, he says, is not us. But you are withholding your affection from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. See, he's not playing spiritual one-upmanship here, is he? He's not boasting. Rather, he's identified this serious spiritual problem with the Corinthians. They're thinking of putting the world before Jesus. They've heard the gospel, they've rejoiced, but they want the world as well. They want the orators, who are as big a rock stars as the orators out there. They want um, spiritual signs and power. They want to look impressive, they want to be impressive. They want Jesus, but they want that stuff as well. So when scrappy little Paul rolls back into town, their disconnect is brought into sharp focus. They can't hug him, they can't respond in genuine love to him without opening up about who they are and what they're doing and what they really love. The way they respond to Jesus' messenger is the way they respond to Jesus. The two are linked. And the messenger who brought them the gospel is part of their spiritual family, their, their gospel dad, if you like. Look at verse 13, as a fair exchange, I speak as to my own children. Open wide your hearts also. But hearts, like my garden shed, reveal a mess inside when opened. And so, plus to say, look, so perfect your holiness in verses 14 and follow. Open your hearts, it's going to be messy. So perfect your holiness. Look at uh, chapter 7, verse 1. It sort of forms a sandwich with verse 14. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Perfecting holiness. Why to get to God? No, 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 out of reverence for the God who's met you. It's another way of putting forward what uh, he says in verse fourteen. Sort out the contamination of living a right life for Jesus. Verse fourteen: Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? know oh, damn many People here have exams in the next few weeks. Maybe, uh, maybe quite a few. Uh, it's nice in exam season to be told what the answers are. So I'm going to tell you. I'm going to ask you five questions. The answer to each question is nothing. So here's, here's a quiz. I'm going to give you a quiz, pop quiz now. Um, I'm going to ask you five questions. I hope you get 100%. Okay? You need to shout the answer out to me. So what do righteous, righteousness and wickedness have in common? Nothing. Excellent. What fellowship can light have with darkness? Nothing. What harmonies there between Christ and uh, the Greek God? Nothing. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Nothing. Some of you aren't so sure. Come Nice loud one to end on. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Nothing. Excellent. Well done, 100%. A star. Easiest exam you've ever passed, I'm sure. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? There's no connection, is there? These are complete, it's not like they're unrelated, like merely just sort of happen to be separate. Like, you know, you turn on uh, Netflix, scroll on the categories, it's uh, documentaries and cooking shows. You say, well, they're not not really connected, they're just disconnected there. No, it's, it's opposites. It's like saying documentaries and Marvel comic films. Okay? It can't be both. Okay? And if you think Marvel comic films are documentaries, well, you've got bigger problems, come and see me afterwards. If it's one, it can't be the other. Can you imagine trying to get light and dark together? and be friends. Light comes, darkness goes. That's the way it works, isn't it? Don't need a degree in physics to know that. You just need a light bulb. When you go home tonight, see if you can get a chunk of darkness just next to your light bulb. Quite hard work. If you manage it, send me a picture. Can't be done, can it? So Paul says, don't be yoked with unbelievers. But Daphne said say this morning, that yoke is the bit of wood put between animals so they could pull the plough and pull together. And it meant that both animals have to go in the same direction. And Paul says, don't. He pleads with them. To his spiritual children, don't yoke yourself to the world. It will not go in the same direction as Jesus will you can't make it. It'll only pull you away from Jesus. And I know if you open your hearts, that's part of the mess we're going to have to deal with. But you can see how important it is. It strikes to who you are. Verse 16. For we are the temple of the living God. I would say being yoked to unbelievers may also include Christians marrying those who don't believe in Jesus. Jesus. Paul spoke about that in 1 Corinthians 7. If that's weighing on your mind tonight, please do come and have a chat. But I think because the references to temple here, uh, in verse 16 and following, I think it's more to do with them trying to live in a city that was full of temples and statues and idols and uh, ceremonies and religious meals. The local gods weren't woven so much into the fabric of everyday life. They were trying to fit in, but they were compromising. For what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols and we are the temple of the living God so right now in reality in this universe where does it connect with the living God in believers people who put their trust in Jesus for their sins forgiven and Christ is their captain and their high priest and king you are the temple of the living God. And he goes on to pull out reference after reference to the Old Testament, reminding them of the great promises there were to do with that. Uh, You can see, perhaps the bottom of your Bible has a few footnotes. Um, Those kind of phrases occur in a number of different places in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Leviticus and 2 Samuel and Isaiah. Um, uh, Where exactly they come from I think is probably not really the issue. But it's all showing them that God causes people to be separate from imposter gods And every time they compromised in Israel, who they worshipped, it ended in disaster. Fundamental to their relationship of love was faithfulness. And if you worship a piece of stone, if you worship an idea or a set of values, British or otherwise, faithfulness doesn't matter. In a relationship, faithfulness matters. Being the people of a holy God, it matters. And throughout the Old Testament, God has kept his promise to his people much better than they did to him. So verse 16, as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Amazing promise he made to them. Whenever they run after idols, they deny their identity, who they are, God's people. Therefore, verse 17, come out for them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. When God binds himself to his people, in justice and mercy. He's there to receive them. Verse 18, I will be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Uh, What wonderful promises that Paul puts before the Corinthians. What wonderful promises. These aren't, you know, whack you around the head with an extra hard-backed Bible kind of promises, are they? They are promises of love from a holy God. I will be a father to you and you. You can be my sons and my daughters. Paul calls them his children because God calls them his sons and daughters. And says to Paul, go and help them. So therefore, Paul says, since we have these promises to be God's people... These promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Yes, you know, opening your heart is a messy, messy business. It means change. It'll mean tears. Sometimes it'll mean pe- tears about what you're leaving behind, that you're ashamed, you're crying tears about. But if the yoke stays on, you'll never walk with Christ. And it pales into insignificance compared to promises That God makes us as our Father. So come away from the idols and the parties at the temples, the way of life which invokes God's blessings in business deals, the toasts and new ventures, the names of of lumps of rock and stone. Compared to a God who would give his real Son to be punished, to die, to suffer the justice I deserve, that you deserve, it's nothing. Perfect your holiness out of reverence for such a God. You see, friends, That this is no breakup letter. It is definitely a love letter. Some harsh truths, yes, but he speaks them about love, not just his own love for them, which is genuine, and he opens his heart up to them, but the love of a God who, although holy, loves people who are not. A love that rescues us and adopts us and calls us. So why is it if Paul's having this conversation with the Corinthians, that, that the Holy Spirit has preserved it in the Bible for us today. What are we meant to get out of this at Chesington in twenty eighteen? I think it are all sorts of things, but actually I think primarily it's the wonderful model of love and fellowship in the family of Jesus Christ, where the gospel is more important than politeness, and where Jesus is more important than anything else. Gospel ministry in the context of relationship. And relationships are messy. Relationships are messy, aren't they? Unless we pretend they're fine, in which case they're fine. But underneath they're messy. Doesn't stop that, does it? If we share in the gospel together, then prepare for a bit of mess. Prepare for a bit of mess from me, I'll prepare for a bit of mess from you. Be gracious with each other, and yet... As Paul shows us, be firm about the lordship of the the one we sit under. Be loving and yet absolutely unmoving on the gospel of the Son of God who died for you and for me. These chapters should be the guidelines for the love we should have for each other before we start to talk about someone else's holiness. Now, I've deliberately not dug into other applications, I think this is the main thing to hear tonight. But it's worth also having a look because Paul's raised two big issues, hasn't he? He's invited people to examine his ministry. I think there's a call to examine our ministry we might have in the church. Is it a stumbling block or does it commend Jesus in the way we do things? It's a big question, isn't it? Not just elders, not just home group leaders. Any of us who would encourage other people to know and love Jesus. That's a ministry. How are you doing it? Are you commending? Are you stumbling? Read the list through prayerfully. I think a good tactic is this. See which phrase you want to avoid and then pick that one and come to God in prayer and say, maybe God will need to talk about this. Maybe get a friend to help you. I've had to do that this week. I've looked at my own ministry and seen certain words jump out at me in that list and think, wow, yeah, I really need to deal with that. I'd hate to be a stumbling block to people in my school. And there's a call to examine purity, isn't there? He invites them to look at them and say, purify what you do, you know, body and soul, so body and spirit. You've got to have an open heart to the ministry of the word and person of Christ. We do need to seek to be pure. Because, why? Because we've seen, we believe in, we worship the wonderful God who saves. And if you're doing it right, you will open your heart up to other believers too. We put no stumbling block in anybody's path. We've spoken freely to you and opened wide our hearts to you. And since we have these promises, perfect holiness out of reverence for God. What a great love letter! Let me pray. Uh, Father God, uh, habits are helpful things in life. They carry us through all sorts of day-to-day activities. And yet we would hate to think that we get into habits of being Christian uh, rather than living with you day by day. Uh, We can see how quickly our hearts turn from uh, following you in all things to wanting the world as well. Uh, We can see ways in which we want to do ministry because it's convenient for us rather than because it would help someone else to have no stumbling block in front of them. But above all, Father, we, uh, we want to uh, acknowledge before you that uh, ministry is messy, that have, being an open-hearted Christian in fellowship uh, requires an awful lot. And we, we know we need your help to be people who are honest before you and honest before each other, that we might truly reflect, reflect you, the amazing God who saves. So we ask you'd be uh, helping us uh, work through these things uh, tonight and this week uh, on our own, on our knees, and with each other. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.